turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Good afternoon and welcome to the show. It's the Tuesday program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions and life questions and anything and everything that's going on. All you have to do is provide the phone call. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email your questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And remember, we had a big rainstorm here again, so if it's wet out there, be careful. The safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. Everything else is hands-free, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, um, quick suggestion. If you weren't able to watch uh, our Sweet Summer Devotions last night, uh, go to calvarysa.com and watch it. Uh, Trish Lucas uh, spoke. uh, Man, she spoke right from my heart. Um, I've been trying to convince people that when you begin serving others, putting their needs ahead of your own. When you serve your local church and God's spirit and, and, and the gifts that he's given you are flowing through you to others, it enriches your life um, immeasurably. And uh, Trish did a pretty good job of trying to measure it last night. And, and her testimony was really about what God has done, not only in her and through her, but for her since she has really dug in and begun serving in the church. So you can watch that at calvarysa.com. What a wonderful, wonderful message that she gave, and uh, I think you will be blessed by it. Well, let me get to questions while we await any phone calls. The first question is from our mobile app from Ernesto. And he says, is the Protestant Bible the true Bible or is it the Catholic Bible? Ernesto, the Bible is the Bible. Now, the Catholic Bible with the Apocrypha is not Bible. Um, they, they've got the same 66 books in the Bible, their Bible that we have. The problem is that they add the Apocryphal books and and those books are, are, are not consistent with the rest of Scripture. Um, they were never accepted as a part of the Jewish Old Testament canon, and so it, they're simply not true. Um, um, you know, people say, "Well, why did you take books out of the Bible? We didn't; they added." And uh, the Catholic Bible is not dependable because of those apocryphal books. Now, remember, the Catholic Bible contains the Bible. There's 66 books written by 40 different authors over a period of about 1,500 years. Uh, but when you 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 insist on inserting books that contradict the other sixty six books, and that's what the apocrypha does, 
um, then you've got uh, something that isn't true. So, Ernesto, in total, um, the Bible that you go to a bookstore and buy with 66 books, uh, that is the true, infallible, inerrant Word of God. Thanks for the question, Ernesto. I appreciate it very, very much. Here is an anonymous question. Haven't had a question like this for a long time. Uh, is it sin to use marijuana recreationally if you're not addicted? Um, the answer to the question is yes. Anytime you are in a, an altered state of consciousness, anytime that you allow drugs to affect your sobriety, and that's what marijuana does, you can say it's no worse than drinking. It is. Um, there's a lot of new studies that indicate just what the permanent damage is. But the truth is, we're to be sober. And when you smoke marijuana, you are no longer sober. Uh, so, yes, it is a sin. Anonymous, you know it's a sin. That's why you wrote in and asked the questions. Remember, most of the time, when these kind of questions, is it okay to do this or is it okay to do that, when they're floating around in your head, you're doing something that you know, you already know the Holy Spirit is trying to convict you of. So, uh, it is uh, a sin uh, and um, um, among Christians, and I know this is a um, a hard one for a lot of people, um, it shouldn't even be a question among Christians. We should stop trying to figure out how much we can do, and how much we can get away with and still be saved, and instead, how close can we get to Jesus, putting away the sin that keeps our fellowship with Jesus broken. Thank you. Here's a question from Madeline. My question is about formal church membership and where the Bible tells us to be formal members of a church. Um, Madeline, I'm going to answer your question generally, but but first I want to deal with your use of the term formal. Uh, there There is no place in the Bible where uh, an American understanding of church membership is endorsed or even suggested. You know, we go to churches and churches have these uh, long membership procedures and you get involved and you sign covenants and, and, and all of that is nonsense. So formal church membership, the way it's demonstrated here in this country, uh, I think is a result of a lack of faith on the part of, of church leaders, whether they're pastors or denominations. I just think we, we, we want to teach tithing. Uh, we can get people to commit to tithing. Um, but, but, but generally speaking, the, the covenantal type membership in a church is not codified in the Word of God. Now, here's what I will say equally clearly, I hope, that the Bible does talk about the importance of being a member of a local church body. So, uh, we, we, I'll just tell you what our approach is at Calvary Chapel. Um, we don't have a formal membership. We don't have a um, a website where you can go and find out who all of our members are and how to contact them, a church directory. Um, we we jokingly, but we're not joking too much, we jokingly say that anybody who's been here more than twice is a member of our family. Uh, we fall in love with them. Uh, we treat them like a member. They're part of us. We grieve when they grieve. We rejoice when they rejoice. Uh, when they're hurting, we hurt. That's what membership is all about. So being a member of a local church body is important. Like everything that God intended to be beautiful, we humans mess it up and we try to, to, to tie people down. You know, it was uh, a few years after I'd been here when some people started coming to church. And, you know, I never, we don't ask people questions when they come. Um, um I got a call from a, 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 a pastor of the church that those people used to go to after they'd been coming about a couple months, and he was really angry at me. He said, so how do you justify having members of my church coming to your church and not kicking them out? I said, well, I don't know what you're talking about. He said, and he gave me the name. I said, well, yeah, they started coming to church. He goes, well, I haven't given them my release. And I basically told him, I don't need your release, nor do they. They're part of the body of Christ, and where they choose to worship is between them and the Lord. So that kind of formal church membership, um, frankly, is is counterproductive. Um, but Madeline, it is clearly true 
that everyone in the body of Christ needs to be involved, invested, serving in a local church body. That's the way Jesus has chosen to to work. And um, he's the head of the church, so we've got to do things on his terms. Now, here is a compilation. This isn't a, a direct question, but But it's a question that I'm starting to get with some frequency now, so I'm kind of trying to to um, roll them all into one. Um, I had a, a, an email that said basically, uh, if you're really faithful to God and you really want to touch, talk, uh, teach the truth, you'll teach the flat earth theory is true and people will be set free. And then over and over and over I get these questions about, uh, are you a flat earther and, and, and can Christians, should Christians be flat earthers? Um, Let me just say very, very clearly, all of you who are spending time on the Internet reading these demonic, nonsensical conspiracy theories, um, you need to understand the danger you're in. You have to have Christians. I don't want to say this with compassion because I'm not angry, but my heart hurts for you. Uh, To have Christians who have the Word of God Chasing a flat earth. You know, when Columbus sailed in 1492 to the New World, he took a huge step of faith because in 1492, they believed that the earth was flat and they would sail off the edge. There's no excuse for that type of thinking now. The evidence is overwhelming And the conspiracy theories, and I've said before in the show, I believe having watched what conspiracy theories do to people, I believe with all my heart they're demonic. And for a Christian to believe that the earth is flat is frankly embarrassing to Jesus, to the body of Christ, A whole bunch of people go to the internet and check flat earth theory. Just be careful. Please, please, please stop reading the internet and open your Bibles and read your Bible. Please. The enemy wants you anywhere but the word. And you're allowing him to win in your life. He's not going to win in the end in the world, but he, you're allowing him to win in your life by thinking these things are true. So any notion that the earth is flat or that that's the truth of God and it's going to start a revival, and those are all the comments that have been made in the emails that I'm getting, uh, is is just silliness. Please, please, please. Those are things some of you need to repent before the Lord and others of you. Um, who who are trying to sell a flat earth theory to others rather than telling people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You need to get before God and and fall on your face in repentance. 340-9585. You know, those are always hard situations because I, I you know, these are our brothers and sisters in the Lord who are deceived. And I don't want to get angry at them. I get angry because of the deceive, the deceit, but uh, I, I don't want to, you know, cast them off. I pray for them, but we also have to be aware of our witness. And this is just absolute sense. How is anyone in the world going to take you seriously about Jesus when you're trying to convince them that you've read something on the internet that has convinced you? that the world is flat. Now, if this wasn't a problem, I wouldn't be getting emails. Um, There wouldn't be so many people who believe that the earth is flat. Uh, There's just something the devil does. Pride, arrogance, I don't know, but there's something the devil does when we think we know something that nobody else knows. So just be careful. It's about Jesus. It's not about reinventing the earth. It's just Jesus. Okay, three four zero ninety five eighty five. Last time I said the phone number, I started going in. That's it. I promise you. Here's an anonymous question: um, Does God get angry with us when we have hobbies or do stuff just for fun? Of course not. Serving Jesus is fun, 
And no, hobbies are great. Now, if hobbies control you, uh, I, I know some people who are controlled by video games. I'm talking about grown men and women. Um, that's that's shameful. It breaks God's heart. But he doesn't get angry with you. Uh, if you have things that you like to do, enjoy them. Just invite Jesus to be there with with uh, with you doing it. If if you want to go out and have some fun with your family, go out and have some fun. Just make sure it's wholesome fun, godly fun. But no, why would anybody think that God gets angry with us because we're pursuing a hobby or having fun? God is fun. Paula says it all the time. And, and one of her goals in life is to make sure that people know that Christians can have fun. I don't know why the world thinks that being a Christian is boring, but unfortunately... Anonymous, apparently you think that that uh, God is a God who wants you to be bored and it's just all Bible study all the time. No, just Jesus would love to hang out with you while you're having fun. He'd love to hang out with you while you're pursuing hobbies. You know, here at Calvary Chapel, we've got some ministries where people have taken their hobbies, things they love to do, and they've turned them uh, into a service for the Lord. Uh, we, we have a, a, a sewing ministry, Calvary Crafters, it's called where a bunch of the ladies in the church who like to sew and and they've got projects and things that they do and they, they sew um, stuff for the Lord. I'll give you just one example. You know, we're in the process of, of planning a, uh, a new ministry. Um, it's called Unusual Kindness. It's a restaurant uh, and a free restaurant, so we're not charging any money for it, but uh, when it gets over, we already have the aprons for the people to wear. We've got a lot of people already, I mean, ready to go. And, and and Calvary Crafters has already made the aprons for them. I mean, that's just a way to turn a, a hobby into a service for the Lord, and that's exactly what they've done. So God wants you to have fun. He wants to be included in your fun. And again, we just have to make sure that it's godly fun rather than ungodly fun. Lisa says, Pastor Ron, it's hard to believe in a loving God with all the pain and suffering I see around me. Where's God during this pain? Lisa, this is a question. I've never really understood this question from from believers. And um, um, I think the wording of your question indicates that you're a believer. Um, but when you look around in this world, at the pain and suffering that you see. What makes you think, even consider for a moment, that God is the cause of that? God doesn't cause any of this. The, the, you can look at every problem that we have in this world, from from all the social justice issues, sex trafficking, to homelessness, to immigration, to... God didn't create any of those things. God created a world that's perfect. So why would we think even briefly that God is the cause of pain and suffering? Now, he's the answer for pain and suffering. You asked, where is God during this pain? He's in exactly the same place he was when his own son was suffering and dying. For a greater good, he sacrificed his own son. Did it break the heart of God the Father? Of course it did. But it doesn't mean he ever stopped caring. Now, often when I get a question like this, where is God during this pain, we have a, a tendency to believe that, well, if God loved us, he wouldn't allow this pain. Remember, we live in a fallen world. And God is in the process of, of creating a world where there will be no more pain and suffering. It's just not ready to manifest right now. He made the world perfect. There was no pain, no suffering. Sin, man's sin, ruined it. There will again be a day when there is a world for eternity with no pain, no suffering, no tears, no, no bad memories, no anything. But until Jesus comes back, we're stuck with the world that we have inherited. And it is a messy, messy world. There's a lot of pain. So Lisa, when you think about it, 
ask God where he was when his son was being brutalized. And he didn't intervene, and he didn't intervene because he loved you. Jesus asked him if this cup could pass, and three times the father said no. And he did that thinking of you. Jesus endured the agony of the cross, Lisa, thinking of you. So when you look at the pain and suffering in this world, Jesus is the answer. And if you're really this moved by all the pain and suffering that you see, the most proactive thing, the most beneficial thing that you could do is go to the people who are suffering and tell them about Jesus. Now, they're going to keep suffering because by and large, those people are going to reject Jesus Christ. Oh, I don't believe that. If you believe it, fine, but I don't believe that. That's not my truth. Um, They're going to keep suffering. And the real tragedy, Lisa, is that they're going to suffer that way only infinitely worse for eternity, forever and ever and ever. And they don't have to. So your job ought to be twofold, to pray for them and to share Jesus with them. And if you're unwilling to share Jesus with people who are suffering, then the hypocrisy in your question is being exposed. And this is a moment where you can say, God, please forgive me. I also believe, Lisa, giving the benefit of the doubt to you and to others who think like this. I believe that God has given some people a heart so filled with compassion that they're hurt at a depth in their hearts far beyond that of normal people. First of all, I don't think we're all built to carry the weight of the world, the weight of the suffering. We can't do it. But there's some people who are so hurt by the pain and suffering they see that it overwhelms them. I think that channel in a way that would glorify God is a wonderful gift. That's why Jesus wept when he saw the world that he was walking in. It wasn't the world he created. And I think there's a great outpouring of God's Spirit available to people like you, Lisa, if you will simply look at things from his perspective. You know, when the first murder occurred, Cain murdered his brother Abel. God tried to stop him. Why are you you so angry? Why are you so downcast, he said. If you do what is right, will it not go well with you? And Cain didn't listen. And his brother died, murdered, the first premeditated murder in the history of the world. It wasn't God's fault. It's what man does. So, Lisa, channel your compassion in a way that honors the Lord, and I think it'll give you a whole new perspective on the world that we live in. Thanks for the question. We're running out of time. Um, Here's a question from Edward. Will Jews go to hell if they reject Jesus, or is there a special way for them to get to heaven? Edward, everybody ever who rejects Jesus is going to spend eternity in hell. It's that simple. The Jews nationally, Israel, are God's chosen people. The apple of his eye. He had a plan for them, and they failed miserably. Uh, throughout the centuries of history. But God loves them, and he's going to continue to reach out to them to the end. But even in the end, when Jesus returns and they see him in the sky with his, with his wounds, with his scars visible, the Bible says, the prophecy of Zechariah, that two-thirds of the Jews who recognize who he is and what they've done will still reject him. One-third will come to him. Where did, where did you get these wounds? And Jesus said, I got them in the house of my friends. And there will be weeping and mourning as never before. And a third of all the Jews alive at that moment will receive Jesus Christ, and they'll be in heaven with us forever. But there's no special dispensation for a Jew just because he's a Jew. The individual man or woman who is ethnically or religiously Jewish still needs their sins to be forgiven, and there's no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood that had to be perfect human blood, and that blood was Jesus. So 
if they reject Jesus and eternity in torment. That's why Jesus told the story of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16. It's why he warned Jews over that in eternity there'd be weeping and gnashing of teeth forever and ever and ever. There would be torment. And their response to him was to crucify him. The Apostle Paul says, I would give my place in heaven. This is Romans chapter 9, the first four verses. I would give my place in heaven if only my brothers, the Jews, would believe. Obviously, Paul can't do that. Only Jesus could. And they've rejected the only way. Jesus truly is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. So, Edward, I don't know what the motive behind your question is, but if, in fact, you've heard somebody say to you that Jews have a special agreement with God or they function under a different covenant, that's simply not the case. Everybody who's ever lived needs to believe in God by faith and come to Jesus Christ. Hey, we'd love your phone calls. The phones are quiet again today. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the Word to Stand Up for Life. We'll be back in two minutes. back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of the program 340-9585 you know when i signed off i said we'll be back in two minutes sometimes two minutes goes so fast and this was one of those times uh, I, I've actually been having a day. I'm, I'm preparing today. I was working on my very first study for uh, Daniel, which we begin a week from tomorrow. And um, I, I like getting ahead. And I just love Daniel's prophecy. And I'm really looking forward. To, I got to finish. No, I got to. I get to finish in uh, Genesis, Genesis 50 tomorrow night. Um, but I'm really excited. I'm, 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 I would really like to start with Daniel tomorrow, but Genesis 50 is really good too, so pray for me. Here's a question from Randall. Pastor Ron, was Jesus dead for three days and three nights or not? If not, is it a contra... No, if not, it is. It's the same he's making. It is a contradiction in the Bible. Randall, no contradiction. I think we get caught up um, without really understanding um, the Jewishness of Jesus' uh, comments. Um, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be buried in the belly of the earth. Um, but but in, in Jewish thinking, any part of a day is considered that day. Um, every Jew would, would understand that. We, we Gentiles, we get all exercised over that, well, you know, if, if he was crucified on Friday um, and 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 died um, in the afternoon on Friday, um, then that's not a full day. Saturday is a full day, but he 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 rose from the dead very early on the morning on Sunday. That's not a full day, so that's a contradiction. It's not. That's just a very Jewish way of saying there are going to be three days. If if I were to ask you, Randall. Um, so what are you doing for the next three days? And I, and I said, it's a weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. You'd, you'd say, well, I had plans, I don't have plans. But you'd understand. I was talking about what plans do you have for those days. It doesn't mean for tw- three 24-hour periods. So there's no contradiction. It's just a misunderstanding. And we, to our shame, We've done all kinds of mental gymnastics trying to squeeze. Well, it was a special Sabbath, so he was really crucified on Thursday. Um, That's not so. He was crucified on a Friday. He was put in the ground. The next day was a Sabbath. It was a quiet day. Sunday morning at first chance, led by the women, they went out to find Jesus to attend to his body. And, of course, he wasn't there. So no contradiction at all. 
Um, we, we just have to do a little bit more research. Um, let me give you, Randola, a great resource uh, for all things Jewish when it comes uh, to Jesus' ministry. It's a, uh, a book, not really a commentary. Um, it's, it's more of a, a, a pretty sophisticated um, teaching book. Uh, it's called The Life and Times of the Messiah by Alfred Edersheim, E-D-E-R-S-H-E-I-M. Uh, it is a treasure. It's difficult reading, but it is a treasure. And I personally think anybody teaching through the Gospels really needs to have that book and have a good foundation in that book. Because unless you understand the Jewishness of Jesus' ministry, of his message, of even the purpose of his life, um, uh, there's a lot of things that don't make sense to us 2,000 years later. So no contradiction at all. Jesus uh, was crucified on a Friday. He rose from the dead early Sunday morning. And that does not contradict at all what Jesus said about three days and three nights. That's another Jewish way of simply saying uh, three days. Okay? Samuel asks, Why am I constantly bombarded with wicked thoughts, even blasphemous thoughts, now that I am a Christian, will they ever stop completely? Well, Samuel, they're probably constantly bombarding you because you're a Christian. Remember, we have no control over the thoughts that come into our mind. Those are, they all come from an outside source. The world that we live in, the people in your lives, many, many times outside thoughts, especially wicked and blasphemous thoughts, come from the devil or his demons. But that's because you're a Christian. You say, now that I'm a Christian, well, now that you're a Christian, this is when you should expect that kind of spiritual warfare. And I'm sad to say to you, they will never stop completely because the devil is never going to stop trying to destroy you. I say all the time that he is absolutely relentless. He has no mercy, no compassion. When you think you can't take any more, please give me a break. He's not going to say, okay, you know, you're a nice guy. I'll give you a break for a few. He's not. He's going to pour it on because that's who he is. That's what he does. So what we have to do is take those wicked and blasphemous thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. Let me share with you, Samuel, the, the worst thing that Satan's ever done you know, to me. And this happened as a new believer. It happened for, for several years. Um, I was so convinced, I was so excited about Jesus. I was telling everybody, and over and over and over, in dreams, just thoughts that would come rushing into my head when I was awake, even while I was sharing Jesus with other people, he would say, what if this isn't true? You can't prove it's true. What if it's not true? Then that makes you a false teacher. And all this stuff, uh, I, I also suffer from nightmares. Uh, I wish that I didn't, but I do. And I ask God before I go to sleep every night, protect my heart, my dreams, my nightmares, to protect us physically. Um, but the truth is, is, is I have them. And, and most nights I have them. Um, but I've learned to fight back. I've learned that when I wake up startled or wake up in a sweat, I can, I can, I can just, okay, Lord, I know who that was. And I want to just think about you. I want to I wanna have a conversation with you. And that's one of the things that we've got to do. That's what fighting spiritual warfare is all about. So Paul writes to the Corinthians, take every thought captive to make them obedient to Christ. But but remember that the source of those is the one who wants to destroy you, and you've got to toughen up a little bit. You've got to learn to fight. So, Samuel, that's why you're constantly bombarded. And no, they're not going to stop. So the only reasonable response is to get tough and fight. hope that helps. Margie asks, Pastor Ron, who are the 24 elders from Revelation chapter 4 and 5? I don't see them referenced in the Bible. The 24 elders are representative. Uh, Margie, the best way for me to explain this to, to people in this country, you know, we have um, um, a House of Representatives. Um, in the state, we, we have reps, legislators, but, but in the nation as well. And we send them, it's a representative form of government, we send them to Washington or to Austin to represent us. We do that with their votes. 
And um, that doesn't mean that we all get a, an opinion. Uh, it doesn't mean that their responsibility is to do what they think we ought to do. Um, but they represent us. They're not us, but they represent us. Well, the 24 elders, we find them um, at, at the rapture of the church when John's ascended into heaven. Um, we find them representing believers throughout history. Now, the 24 elders specifically are 12, the 12 patriarchs from Israel. I mean, imagine a big auditorium, and on one side there are 12 thrones, and, and, and Jesus' throne is there, but, but these are lesser thrones. And, and there's the, the 12 patriarchs representing believers from uh, that time before Jesus. They represent the people of Israel, and and they they believed in in God by faith and were saved. The other twelve lesser thrones are occupied by the twelve apostles, and I believe that twelfth throne is Matthias, not Paul. Um, but 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 there's twelve thrones, and and the apostles on their thrones, their lesser thrones, they represent New Testament believers throughout time. So what we see in Revelation four and five is the entirety of the body of Christ forever represented in those 24 elders. And they're singing a new song. It's just a wonderful couple of chapters. Actually, it's one long chapter, but they've separated it into two. Uh, And they represent us. And they, like us, were saved by grace through faith before Christ. They, they, They... um, were saved by looking forward to the Messiah. Uh, those of us born after Jesus, of course, we were saved by looking back at the at the historical Jesus, uh, crucified and risen from the dead. Uh, and um, that's who they are. So uh, it is a representative statement in those two chapters that we're all going to be there in the presence of the Lord. So I hope that answers your question. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to Jimmy on line one, our first call today. And Jimmy, we haven't heard from you in a long time. You doing okay? Yes, sir. I'm doing all right. I was just been discouraged for a while, you know, things going on in the world and all that. I don't watch TV yeah. or anything. I'm just like, and I mean, but I still, I'm still focused on the Bible and Jesus Christ. Good. But um, but the thing is. I was reading the scripture saying the 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 government will be upon his shoulder in Isaiah nine six. So God is talking about the government will be upon the shoulders of Jesus Christ, all governments, right? Well, all government in 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 concept. It doesn't mean that um, the United States government is on his shoulders or that Cuba's government's on the shoulders of China. It's just government, the, the idea of governing. Uh, the shoulders in Hebrew thought were the place of strength. And so the burden of government is on his shoulders is what we're being told there. Yes, and I, I know it's getting harder to live in this world, but um, I see it already. Mm-hmm. I see it, and it's getting even harder to because uh, they're they're trying to force us to do things that we don't want to do. So, and yeah, believe believe me, to, Jimmy. The, I don't want to do it. The go- yeah, believe me, Jimmy. The government that is trying to force us to do things that we don't want to do has nothing to do with Christ. In fact, it's the Antichrist. And um, and that has nothing to do with Jesus. Now, he sustains us through that. And Acts chapter uh, 17, verse 26 says that he places us where we are at the exact time we're here to deal with whatever. But um, we, we want to separate the idea that this is human government from um, the, the government of God that will eventually be in control in this world for a thousand years. And then, of course, that government will be in control in eternity in a, in a new heaven and a new earth. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. Say so what I told somebody, what I told somebody today, because they asked me if I, I took the thought, and I said, no, I'm not going to take it. And I'm not going to take it until I get confirmation from the Holy Spirit. 
And I said, well, you know, I said, no, I'm not taking it. And I'm listening. I, I explained to them about the, and I think the shots with this, shots public. I explained to them about how the Antichrist is going to raise in three and a half years and it's going to try to make this, take the sign of the beast. And I said, I am never going to take that sign of the beast. I'd rather have my head chopped off before I take the sign of the beast. <laughs> and there, he just looked, you know, my, my friend just looked at me like, are you crazy? And I said, no, I'm not crazy. <laughs> <laughs> because if you, yep. I, I explained to him, if you take that sign of the beast, you can never go to heaven. Yeah, Jimmy, a couple of things that are really important to understand. You, 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 you've taken that stand, that firm stand for Jesus because you love him. And we, we all will. We all should. However, and this is important, we need to understand that the vaccination is not the mark of the beast. And we can get online and see all these crazy demonic conspiracy theories. And, and um, um, you know, and I've heard a, a, a man, a pastor I know, and, and actually call a friend. Um, he has said very bluntly that this vaccine is the mark of the beast. That's not the case. Uh, if you understand eschatology, that's the, the study of the end times, you realize that the mark of the beast won't be given until the Great Tribulation, and we who are believers will be gone before the Great Tribulation. So this isn't the mark of the beast. It's also clear in the book of Revelation that we, we're now studying on, on Friday nights here. Uh, it is clear that when people take the mark of the beast, they will do it willingly, eagerly. They will know exactly what they're doing. They're closing the door on Jesus Christ forever. So it's not something that the world is going to sneak on us. Now, the world that we live in is pretty corrupt. And, and they're trying to sneak a lot of things on us. But it's not the mark of the beast. And we don't need to worry about that in terms of the vaccination. Now, having said that, and let me just say this to you, Jimmy, and to the rest of the audience. Uh, and I said this to our church. Um, it is nobody's business in this world uh, what should be private between you and your doctor. It's nobody's business. So when somebody asks you if you've taken the shot or you're going to take the shot, the answer is, um, um, I'll make that decision prayerfully and leave it alone. Nobody has the right to ask you if you've taken the, the, the shot, if you've been vaccinated. Uh, that's between you and the Lord. And, um, you know, there's just a lot of scary stuff out there about the vaccination. You know, I think the government ought to be thrilled with the numbers of people that have been vaccinated, if in fact that's their goal. Um, but the truth is the government's been lying to us from the beginning, and there's a lot of people that just, really having a hard time trusting it. So the idea is um, if somebody wants to ask you about the vaccination, um, the only thing that matters is what did they do? What choice did they make? And as believers, we have no right, no place to criticize anybody whether they said yes to the vaccination or no to the vaccination. It's that simple. And I don't know why that's a really difficult thing for people, we want to control people. We we have opinions about things, but um, the vaccination is a private medical issue between you and your doctor, and that's all we need to know. Thank you, Jimmy. I appreciate it very much, and it's really good to hear from you. It's been it's been a while. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Um, please remember, we we've got we've got the vaccination against sin, Jesus. And we can tell people about him. Uh, focus on Jesus. The one other thought I would say to Jimmy and to anybody else out there is when you're discouraged, and that's how the conversation started. Jimmy says, I've just been going through a time of discouragement. That's when you run to Jesus. That's when you run to church. Not when you stay away. When you're discouraged, that's when Satan's trying to pin you um, because you're not active in sharing your faith. You're not active in the local body of believers. So when we're going through difficult times of discouragement, that's when we need to run into the presence of the Lord. when we need to run to our Bibles. We need to run to church and minister to other people. Thank you, Jimmy. Really good to hear from you. 
Edward asks, why would Jesus want people to make enemies within their own families? He mentions it in two of the Gospels that I can find. Edward, you're right, he does mention it, but he doesn't want people to make enemies. What he's doing is warning them that there, they will be enemies because they hate Jesus. They hated me, he said, they'll hate you. He says, I've come to separate families. And by that he means in a family where somebody's taking a stand for Jesus Christ, those who don't want anything to do with Jesus are going to cast those uh, believers out of their families. They're going to make things miserable. So it's not Jesus' desire that enemies be made. It's just a statement of fact. Um, people hated me. They insulted me. They're going to hate you and insult you. Um, brother against brother. Uh, son against his own father. Those are the kind of things that happen, and we've all, Edward, experienced that when, in fact, we have told people in our family, hey, I found Jesus, I'm so excited about Jesus, and their response is, don't bring that around me. And we treat you differently. I've known people whose kids were on drugs. I mean, complete Drug addicts, thieves, stealing to support the, the, the their drug activity, and and uh, get saved and get immediately sober. And I've had parents look me in the eye and say, I, "I liked him better when he was on drugs." That's what Jesus is talking about, and he's preparing us. It's not the desire of his heart, certainly, but he is preparing us. Now, remember, in the world that Jesus lived in and and left when he was risen from the dead. Uh, he told his own disciples that, that the people that he um, came for, the people that he loves, are going to hate him, those who believe in him. And that's just one of the things that we have to remember. It's, again, part of the spiritual warfare. Let's go to Bulverde and talk with Greg on line one. Greg, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, um, Pastor Ron, if you can keep me on to your the question here. I know you haven't got a few minutes, but... I got into kind of a deep theological discussion with a friend of mine here just the other day, and I heard your uh, explanation on uh, about tithing and that it's not necessarily the tenth is what we're required based on Malachi because of, you know, we're under living under grace, under the New Testament. So can you, can you just kind of give me an idea of how can I explain further with my friend, because he's stuck on, there's only a blessing if you're giving at least 10%, period. Yeah. Um, yeah, read read uh, 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, um, uh, Greg. Um, you know, when Jesus said uh, in the upper room, this is the cup of the new covenant written in my blood, what he did, and we're told this explicitly in the New Testament, that he canceled the code that was against us. Now, tithing is a Jewish law. Jesus said, you tithe and it's right that you do, but remember he was speaking to Jews. Jesus himself was under the law. But when he fulfilled the law and released us from the law, then we found uh, a new covenant that said, uh, if under law that condemns you give 10%, I'm just I'm just applying it strictly to the giving now, um, then how much more is it worth under grace? Well, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 tells us how much more grace is worth. Brothers, in view of God's mercy, in view of everything that he's done, I beg you to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Now, he's not talking about getting up on an altar and burning yourself to death, but what he's saying is your body, heart, soul, strength, mind, everything, it all belongs to him. Well, in that same vein, everything that we have belongs to him. So, the New Testament Christian the way to be blessed isn't giving. We're, we're not under compulsion. We're not to give under compulsion. We're to give, Paul writes to the Corinthians, with a cheerful, it's literally a hilarious heart. And we give because he's given everything to us. That's where the blessing is. So those who are stuck with 10%, um, you know, the Jews actually gave a lot more than 10%. There was 10% to God, and that's what Malachi is talking about. You're robbing God. Um, and they were. But as New Testament Christians, we're to give God what we can give cheerfully, joyfully, and, and without being having a begrudging spirit. 
So, Greg, what we understand is that everything that we have, everything that we ever will have, belongs to God. And I think a lot of times we like the comfort of 10% giving, tithing, uh, because it limits the amount. When I tell somebody, look, just ask God. He owns everything you have. And and people are instantly afraid. Well, he's going to take it all. Well, he's going to let you keep most of it. But remember, he's trying to teach us to give out of gratitude rather than out of compulsion or, or because of the law. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, yeah it does. It definitely does. But what I told them was, what what God is concerned more about is the condition of our heart. If we have a giving right. heart, even though we may start off at let's say five percent, you know, he and will build up to ten percent or more. He's more concerned about the heart condition than keeping a ledger on exactly how much we're giving. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. And in fact, the the um, the, the to make my point, the woman. Um, the widow who gave when all the rich people were lined up at the at the temple offering and they gave far greater sums of money. Uh, the woman who was recognized by Jesus gave everything she had. It was only two pennies or two mites. Um, and, and Jesus, she gave more than all the others. And the idea there in the Greek is she gave more than all the others combined. So um, he's, he's concerned about the heart. Uh, anything that somebody would give, your friend that you're talking to, if he gives 10% and he does it begrudging, there is no blessing. There's no reward for that. So what he needs to do is say, Jesus, how much? It's all your money. How much do you want me to keep? How much do you want me to spend and how? And he'll always do it. Thank you, Greg. I appreciate the call. Wish we had more time. Hey, you've been listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4 And Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.